whom, for the record, I hadn't seen in over a year, off of my chest. Ah, I could breathe again. The relief didn't last long. Hyperventilation soon replaced my earlier discomfort as thoughts of how the hell I ended up sleeping next to Tran Dashner began to permeate my slow and drink-muddled mind. The last thing I remembered was twirling around like a record on repeat at Club Dusk with my friend Chelsea Fassett and her almost but not quite boyfriend, Keith Morick. Drink still in hand, straw still in mouth, liquid fire still searing a path down my esophagus and into my stomach. And then, nothing, nada, zilch. Just me and Tran Dashner, a high school dropout who suddenly reappeared for the purpose of feeling me up in my sleep after a year-long absence, during which, I thanked God, I'd never again have to see his hideously perfect face. And, once more for the record, when I said never again, I did not mean halfway through my freshman year in college. Just when I thought the spiraling disaster of my life had reached the lowest of lows, I was kidnapped and most likely pawed at by a raving-ass clown with silky hair and an extraordinarily large and probably pointed stick-up-as-perfectly-perfect ass. Maybe I should just suck it up and kill myself already, because after tonight, I'll be nothing but a fried egg brain on two pretzel-stick legs. Shit. Okay, I told myself. Okay, let's take this one step at a time. Don't forget to breathe. Breathe. The first step was to figure out where I was. I looked around. I sat in a bedroom my back pressed against the puffy duvet of the bed I'd most likely fallen from. So that explained why I was on the floor. I must have been in his bed, Tran-Tan-Dashner's bed. Breathe. Directly across from me stood a sprawling dark wood shelving unit, stuffed with books, DVDs, and a flat-screen TV in the center. Two navy chair cushions rested atop a blue rug in front of the TV. A half-empty bowl of stale popcorn. I could smell it from my place by the bed, sitting between them. None of this helped to slow the racing of my heart. What I really needed was an escape. I needed to find the door. I spun my gaze to the right, expecting to see a big exit here sign flashing at me like the bright beams of a lighthouse to a misguided ship trapped behind a curtain of fog. Instead, my eyes caught and held on yet another bed, this one occupied by the man who had to be trans kidnapping accomplice. Kidnapping, I told myself, seemed the only rational explanation for what was happening. Not that anything about this situation could be classified as rational. I hadn't planned on screaming, namely because it would have alerted my captors to my current state of consciousness. But when the man in the other bed grunted, turning onto his side so that his face became visible, I couldn't stop myself. It wasn't fear that caused me to react with such volume, but anger. Fury engulfed my every sense. I could hear it, a buzzing in my ears. I could smell it, spicy and rotten like a week-old corpse. I could feel it, 
fire exploding beneath my skin until I felt sure I'd burst the light. I could taste it, sour, burnt like poison. I could see it, a red haze that distorted my vision like heat waves in a desert. The scream sprung from my throat like vomit, pouring forth in a spiraling tornado of glass-shattering discordance. My eardrums vibrated with the force of it, so intense I thought they'd explode in a flowering of blood. The scream went on for what seemed hours, though the small part of my brain that still held some lucidity told me only a few minor seconds had passed. When sound returned to me, the high-pitched, whining cry of a baby pierced my mind like glass slicing through layers of delicate skin. Then... Three things happened in surprisingly rapid succession. First, the man in the bed shot up like a rocket.